You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Okay, I've got the popcorn. I've got the juice boxes. Grape for you, Sandin, Tangelo for Manica, and of course, pomegranate pickle for me. I'm pretty sure your taste buds are broken, Mark. Okay, we're ready. I've got the channel queued up for the annual Alpaca Jack Movie Marathon. Let's get this pack-up party started! Yeah, 12 hours of non-stop action with our favorite crime-fighting alpaca superhero. So, which movie are we watching first? It starts with Live Fast, Die Wool. Then, To Hoof or Hoof Not. Oh, and after that, it's my favorite, Alpaca Jack in Indestructible. Oh, yeah, this is the one where he karate chops through a submarine. Hi-ya! I wish I could do that. Yeah, and he uses his super brain to decode all six of Baron Bottom Feeder's riddles at the same time. Well, yeah. If I could have any of his powers, I'd totally want that one. Oh, yeah, and remember the part where he's super soft and cuddly? That's the power I want. Minika, what are you talking about? He's so fuzzy and pettable, and evil trembles at his downy soft coat of floof stuff. Wool, yeah! Uh, I don't think wool is a superpower. That's just what alpacas are covered in. Yeah, wool isn't gonna outsmart any bad guys. Or kick through concrete. Well, no, but wool is stretchy. Wool can shift into all kinds of shapes. It wicks away water, it's tough to light it on fire. It's like a soft, fuzzy, super suit of armor. And now, it's the Alpaca Jack Movie Marathon. All the alpaca action you can handle. Wool, yeah. Oh, it's starting. Pass me that blanket. I want to get cozy for the movie. You mean this wool blanket? Sure. Wool for the win. Wool, yeah. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and my co-host today is Noah from Minneapolis. Hi, Noah. Hi, Molly Bloom. It's great to be here. (laughs) It's great to have you here. So today we're talking about the marvelous multifaceted material known as wool. We use it to make clothes and rugs. But also to insulate homes, to absorb odors, to fill furniture, and even soften sounds in speakers. So it's no wonder our listeners are curious about the stuff. Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Caitlin. We are from Redmond, Washington. And our question is, why do sheep have wool instead of fur? So, Noah, we asked you to co-host because you actually work with wool. So what do you do with wool? I crochet. What is crocheting? Crocheting is a bit like knitting, but instead of using two needles, you use one hook that you use to pull loops through the fabric that you've already made. So what can you make with crocheting? I mean, you can make a lot of different things. Like, I make little stuffed animals and plants. I like to make hats. You can make sweaters, although I've never done that. When did you start crocheting? How old were you? Let's see, maybe nine or ten. I'm not sure exactly. And how old are you now? Thirteen. So you've been doing it a few years. Uh, Who taught you how to do it? Well, I mostly taught myself from books and videos. So do you have a favorite material to work with? I mean, I think wool of various types. I mean, I think my favorite yarn that I've made a hat out of was probably one that had 
uh, brush tail possum fur in it as well as merino wool. Whoa. So you have merino wool, which comes from sheep, and then possum fur? Yes. I actually brought it with me so you can oh, see it. Oh, I can feel it. Yeah. Ooh. It's purple and brown and stripy. This is a very nice hat. That was and actually this, my first one. This I is made. your first hat you made? Yeah. It's very professional. It's very soft and warm. Do you wear this? Yeah, I wear it. Does it keep your head very warm? Yes. And there's another kind of needlework that you do. Can you tell me about that? It's called nala bending, and it is much older than crochet and knitting. This is a very old technique that was used by Vikings? Yes. And how is it different than crocheting? So for nala bending, you have one needle with a hole in it that's usually flat and made out of wood, bone, or antler. And you have loops on your thumb that you put the needle through. What advice or tips would you have for other people your age who might be considering taking up crocheting? Maybe try something a little bit easier if you're getting frustrated. There's nothing wrong with starting easy no. and slow. Got to work your way up. Yeah. You can't expect super fast progress necessarily. No. My first thing that I made was just a little square-ish you can't even really call it a square because of <laughs> it's like a, a misshapen rectangle. But it was your very first thing. Yeah. And it's all right if it does not look good at first because you'll get better. Well, let's get to it. Wool, yeah! We usually think of wool as the stuff that grows on sheep, but other animals make it too. Like alpacas, llamas, camels, and even some goats and rabbits. Wool is different from cotton, which is also used for clothes, because cotton is made of a material called cellulose. That's what plants are made of, and cotton is a plant. Wool, on the other hand, is made of proteins. It also has some unique lipids, which are fatty, oily substances. But hair is also made of proteins. So what makes wool special, and why is it so good for clothes and stuff? Like, why can't I crochet a scarf made out of my own hair? Or a hat. Think about it. A hair hat that covers your hair. It makes perfect sense. Well, for starters, wool is very stretchy, so it doesn't break easily and can take on lots of shapes. It's also covered in super tiny scales. If you take a look at wool under a microscope, it looks like it's covered in roof shingles or fish scales. And it's crimped, meaning it's got very small waves in it. These waves and scales make it so the strands of wool get tangled together very easily. When a bunch of wool strands get tangled like that, they can form a string. That's how yarn is made. Your typical hair strands aren't as crimped or scaly and can't really stick together like wool can. So to recap, wool stretches, sticks to itself, and makes super strings. Wool for the win! Wool also has other amazing properties. It traps air really well, so it can keep you warm when it's cold out and cool when it's hot. Plus, it can soak up as much as 30% of its own weight in water without feeling wet. Take that, Rain. So how does it go from animal fluff to everyday stuff? To find out, we sent our pal Manica Wilhelm to a farm outside Santa Barbara, California. Get ready. This is a bit of a sheep safari. Jenya Schneider and her partner Jack Thrift run Kuyama Lamb. Their sheep live in a sprawling fenced area, and they roam quite a bit. When I visit, the sheep are wandering somewhere in a sandy, 100-acre canyon. Here's Jenya. We have a flock of about 
430 sheep out here. So we're going to see how many we can find today. They're out and about and eating and growing wool as we speak. Besides growing wool, these sheep have another job, munching their way across different landscapes. The idea is that sheep can help prune weeds and brush and fertilize the land with their poop. We start our sheep search at the end of a little dirt road. Now we keep our eyes out because we could see a sheep at any time. We're also looking for signs of sheep. When the sheep brush up against plants, they sometimes leave fuzzy evidence. Looks like they were chewing on some of this oak right here. You can see some wool they left behind on the tips of the branches. It's a few more sandy footsteps before... And here's that first sheepy. A sheep! That's extra exciting when you never know if you're going to see them. Here's some more through the juniper here. Sheep like to hang out in groups. So once we spot the first sheep, we see a bunch more. This herd is nearly all lady sheep, or ewes. Their noses are pink, and they're covered in cottony cream-colored magic fluff. These sheep are all growing white wool. Some sheep grow brown wool, some black, some curly. This is a, a fine wool sheep, and so we have fine white wool. Different kinds of wool feel different. Coarser wool might be itchy for a sweater, but stronger for a rug. These sheep are growing soft wool, perfect for a sweater or for socks. And they grow that wool by eating all kinds of plants from the land. They're snacking underneath these pinion pines here. Definitely when the sheep find the pine nuts on the ground, they love them. There's lots of good grasses down there. Jenya also leaves out water and big white buckets with salt and vitamins for the sheep to eat. You might hear the sound of them scraping against this protein tub over here. It has some, some protein, and some molasses, and some different vitamins and minerals for them. They have a salt over here that's also mineral-rich. Make sure they got all their nutrients. We'll check the water, too. So we're walking over to their water troughs right now. See if any sheep are getting a drink and make sure that the hoses are all working well. All right, here we go. Water. They're pretty thirsty sheep. <laughs> Definitely thirsty sheep. Lucy, hey Lucy. Lucy is one of the big fluffy white dogs that live out on the land with these sheep. Mainly the dogs are guarding against coyotes and mountain lions. Say hi to everyone. <laughs> Tell them how hard you've been working. What'd you do last night? Yeah, did you keep some coyotes away? The guard dogs also stay with any sick sheep to make sure that Jenya knows about them. That's handy because Jenya doesn't count all 400 sheep every day. And mostly the sheep don't have names. But a couple standouts do. There's one who acts like a dog and always tries to eat the dog kibble. <laughs> oh, look, here's Kibble Monster. She's the sheep that loves eating dog kibble. Kibble Monster's ears stick out to the sides, and her fluff coat seems about as thick as a layer of cotton balls. Kibble Monster kind of looks the same as all the other sheep. But somehow, Jenya knows her from the pack. Oh, look at that face. You can never forget a face like that. <laughs> Before we go, Jenya shows me how she herds the sheep from place to place. It doesn't take much. She can pretty much just wave her arms and... Come on, sheepies. The sheep are off. Right. Well, that awesome. concludes the sheep safari. And now we'll go check out their wool in a couple different stages. Let's see. 
So we're looking at some raw fleeces, which is what you call all the wool after you've shorn a sheep. When it's shearing time, about once a year, a sheep shearer comes out and basically gives all the sheep a buzz cut, one by one. Raw fleeces are a little dirty, kind of like your hair, if you just didn't wash it for a while. So yeah, you can see the outer tips are pretty dirty. They're looking like a little brown-gray. And then the stuff underneath is just creamy white, as can be. So this is all wool that we save so that we can send it to a wool mill to get cleaned and processed. We see when it gets all cleaned and combed out, it becomes enormous when all these little fibers are separated. So there's actually a whole lot of wool in every single fleece. When Jenya brings out the clean fleece, it looks like she's hugging a cloud. It is so soft. It's super soft. You kind of just want to make a bed of this and curl up. It could be your mattress and your blanket, both. This is the stage where wool is ready for its next life. Maybe they'll spin it into yarn or make it into felt. And in a few months, Jenya will have a whole new batch of sheep fleeces to work with. This year we'll be able to make all sorts of things with our, our sheep's wool. Humans and sheep go way back. In fact, some archaeologists think we began domesticating those fluffy friends 10,000 years ago. Makes sense, given how awesome wool is. Madeline Shaw is the curator for the textile collection at the National Museum of American History at the Smithsonian Institution. Textile is another word for fabric. And humans realized very early how useful wool could be. Wool has been around for thousands and thousands of years, and sheep were one of the first animals domesticated by humans. And the sheep tend to be divided into two kinds. There's sort of a hairy kind and a woolly kind. And humans bred sheep to be more woolly. And wool became incredibly valuable. Today, we have all kinds of synthetic fabrics which are made of plastic, like polyester and rayon. But for a long time, there were really only four main types of fabric. Cotton, which we talked about before. Linen, which comes from the flax plant. Silk, which is made by silkworms. And wool. In the 1600s, the king and noble people of Spain owned a kind of sheep that produced a very fine kind of wool called merino. And it was almost literally worth its weight in gold. So people would smuggle sheep out. And there were instances of, of ships sailing from one part of Europe to another being pirated where the ship would be stopped and the merino sheep would be taken off. They would maybe leave the gold, but take the sheep. Well, wool won't help you with this challenge. It's the... Mystery sound. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Here it is. What is your guess? Like, I heard, like, uh, spinning, like, cog noises. Mm -hmm. I feel like it might be, maybe I, uh yarn mill or mm -hmm. a sock factory. Excellent guess. So you heard something spinning, something mechanical, some factory type of thing. Well, we'll have another chance to hear it and guess in just a little bit. 
Did you know that we have a Brains On fan club? It's true. We do. If you're already in our totally free fan club, you'll know that you get emails with extra activities and resources to go along with our episodes. But we have a new twist. If you provide us with your mailing address, you'll get actual physical mail with some fun surprises. Our next mailing is going to go out in November, so if you want to get it, make sure you sign up for the fan club by October 31st. Sign up at brainson.org slash fan club. And if you're already a part of the fan club and want to make sure you get those mailings, you can go to that same site, brainson.org slash fan club, and give us your mailing address. But even if you're not in the fan club, we love hearing from you anytime. You can send us all your thoughts and ideas at brainson.org slash contact. You can also send us mystery sounds or drawings. I would love to see some drawings of Alpaca Jack in action. Well, yeah. You can also send questions to brainson.org slash contact. Like this one. My name is Regan from Toronto, Canada. My question is, if the Earth had rings, when you looked outside your window, would you see those rings? We'll answer that at the end of the show. And we'll announce the latest group to join the Brains Honor Roll. So keep listening. And now, back to Alpaca Jack in Indestructible. Alpaca Jack, when I get you back to my lab, I'll cut you open and find out what makes you so totally awesome. Now, get in my evil truck of evil or else. <laughs> or else what, Countess Kombucha? I'll drag you into my truck myself after I freeze you with my blizzard blaster. You can put those plans on ice. Your blaster is no match for my mighty mohair sweater and these lamb's wool socks and this cashmere scarf. Wait, you're both covered in wool and you're wearing wool? Does anyone else think that's a little weird? As a scientist, you should know, wool is amazing at keeping bodies warm. Wool fibers are crimped and textured. That creates little pockets of air that trap your body heat so you stay nice and toasty. Woo, yeah! But, like, you're not wearing pants or shoes, but you have socks on? I don't get it! Hi-ya! Flying kick! Double chop! There. Now your blizzard blaster is a pile of scrap metal. And the best part is, even though I broke a sweat tearing it apart, this wool I'm wearing absorbed the moisture, keeping me nice and dry. Plus, wool absorbs odors. No pit stink on this alpaca. Drats! Well, if you won't come with me, you're going down. In flames. I've just got to pull this flamethrower out of my purse. Don't bother, Countess. Wool is flame retardant. Ugh, you've got to be kidding me. Afraid so. That means it doesn't easily catch fire. You see, wool is made out of protein, and protein has lots of nitrogen, which doesn't burn. Some other parts of wool do burn, but thanks to all that nitrogen, even if I do catch fire, it'll be pretty easy to put out. Looks like wool just threw cold water on your red-hot plans. Gah! You haven't seen the last of me, Alpaca Jack. I'll find your weakness, then you'll be mine. (laughs) (laughs) They never learn. You can't beat wool. It's just so, ah, a moth, run! You're listening to Brains On. I'm Molly. And I'm Noah. So we've talked about where wool comes from, but what happens after it leaves the farm? Like Jenya the sheep farmer said, mills comb sheep's wool into clean, soft fluff. 
Then you can twist and spin that fluff into string and start knitting or weaving with it. To learn about that, we heard from a Native American weaver in New Mexico. His name is Zephyrin Anderson. This is how we greet each other in my tribe, the Navajo tribe. We also call ourselves Diné. I'm a Diné weaver born for the Mud Clan. I was about seven when our class started little projects with little looms, cardboard looms. And from the stories on both sides of my family, from my father's grandmothers to my mother's grandmothers, I heard that we were always great weavers. Zephyrin spins yarn and weaves rugs and blankets the way Navajo people have for a long time. First, he takes that raw wool fluff and makes stringy yarn out of it. To do that, he smooths out the wool with tools that look like big hairbrushes. Then he basically twists that fluff into thread. He uses a tool called a spindle. It looks like a spinning top, but it's about as big as a baseball and has a tall rod sticking up out of its center. He starts by twisting a corner of fluff into a little thread by hand and winds that around the spindle's rod. Then, as he spins the spindle on the ground like a top, he guides the wool so the fluff twists into yarn bit by bit and winds around the spindle. We take these naturally unbunched straightened fibers, straighten them out, put a little work by twisting within them so that it becomes stronger than the material it's made out of. And this is the basis for everything that is weaving, clothes, and fabric. After the wool is spun, Zephyrin is ready to weave. He does that at a device called a loom that looks like a big open picture frame. First, he sets up two wooden posts for the left and right sides of the loom. Between the two is put a very long, strong pole that is called a sky beam. This is the pole that carries the weight and tension of the weaving. And below, the last pole is called the earth beam, which goes between both the right and left pole. This setup between all the different elements is a reflection of the bigger environment of our sky, the the earth, and all the elements between them. For weaving, yarn goes in two directions. Warp is the vertical strings that go up and down between the two posts that I mentioned, the sky and earth beam. And the weft is the yarn that goes between the right and left posts. Between this loom frame, what makes a weaving weaving is going in and out of every other warp in a set sequence. Here's Zephyrin pulling the side-to-side weft yarn under, then over, different threads of up-and-down warp yarn. He builds the weaving upward from bottom to top, so the bottom part he's already woven looks like a blanket. Above that, the empty up-and-down yarn looks almost like a fence made of yarn, with gaps in between each thread. As he weaves, he pushes down the fabric he's already woven. It sounds a little like a hammer. He uses a tool that looks like a wooden comb to push down the threads so his weaving stays together tightly. Those are the basics of weaving. And it's all these different types of counting, different types of colors that create all the weavings that all cultures around the world share. Brains, brains, brains.
And now for one wild and woolly song by our pal Danny Weinkoff. It's called What Else? Wool. Proteins and lipids, what does that mean? Where does it come from? Where is it seen? How do we use it? How is it made? just about everywhere. Yeah, even in pianos. A big wool yeah to Danny Weinkoff for that amazing song. When he's not spinning yarns about fabric, you can find him playing bass for the band They Might Be Giants. To hear more of Danny's music, head to dannyweinkoff.com. Okay, that tune hopefully amped up your eardrums because it's time to go back to the mystery sound. Here it is one more time. Last time you heard something spinning. Is there any new things you heard in there this time? I heard some sort of thump. Mm-hmm. There's a spinning and a thump, and it has to do with sports. Let's see. Is it making a baseball? Because mm. I know they use wool in the wrapping. That is an excellent guess. You ready for the answer? Yeah. Here it is. That was the sound of a pitching machine pitching a baseball. Nice work. So, yes, baseball. And they do have wool inside. So have you seen those pitching machines where you, like, feed a ball and there's two? So you heard the spinning. You're totally right. There's, like, a spinning rubber wheel. And you feed the ball in and then it shoots the ball out so you can practice. Yeah. You're, you're hitting. Yeah. So, I yeah, know what you're talking about. That was the about. thump of the ball hitting the ground after it shot out of the machine. Cool. Mike Thompson is the chief marketing officer at Rawlings Sporting Goods, where they produce about 2 million baseballs every year, including balls for the major league. Wool is used inside of every Major League Baseball, quite a bit of wool, actually. There's enough wool inside to get to the moon and a little ways back, so there's a lot of wool that goes in there. There are a few different layers to each ball. At the center, you'll find what's called the pill, this round piece of cork and rubber. You're probably familiar with the outside. Two pieces of white leather, which get hand-stitched together with red lace. In the middle of all that, 
three different layers of wool. You know, baseball is such a traditional sport, and not much has changed inside of baseball for about 100 years. Wool is a natural fiber that comes from animals like sheep, alpacas, camels, and llamas. It's different from hair and has some pretty amazing abilities. It's able to absorb lots of moisture without feeling wet, it can soak up bad smells, and it's flame resistant. Plus it traps lots of air that helps keep you warm when it's cool out and cool when it's hot. Wool yeah. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. The alpaca jack of our team is our fellow Manica Wilhelm. She has so many superpowers. We had production help from Rosie DuPont, Christina Lopez, Ramona Emerson, Paulina Velasco, Ruby Guthrie, and Alex Hainsworth. We had engineering help from Cameron Wiley and Veronica Rodriguez. Special thanks to Molly Westerman, Jack Thrift, Art Hughes, Leah Dunbar, Sam Chu, and A. Martinez. Now, before we go, it's time for the moment of um. If the Earth had rings, when you looked outside your window, would you see those rings? My name is Linda Spilker. I work at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. I'm a planetary scientist and also the project scientist for a mission called Cassini. The Earth doesn't have rings, so much of what we know about rings comes from studying Saturn's rings. And the Cassini spacecraft spent 13 years in orbit studying Saturn's rings. Saturn has the biggest, brightest, flashiest rings in the solar system. They're made mostly out of tiny particles of water ice. But embedded in that ice are also what you could think of as sort of like dirt. Saturn isn't a perfect ball, it's squished a little bit. And so the fact that it looks like that also keeps the rings in a very narrow, what we call plane, like a thin piece of paper that orbits right around Saturn's equator. Now imagine if the Earth had a ring, it would probably be at our equator. It would be something though, wherever you would look across in the night sky, you would see a band that would be the rings. If you were up, say, in California or even higher, like Minnesota, the rings might form what would look like a rainbow against the night sky, lit up by the sun and shining into our eyes. And if you're right at the equator, the rings would be completely closed up and you might just see a thin line. Now, you, you might wonder, why doesn't Earth have a ring or some of the other planets have rings? Turns out the tiny planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars, none of them have rings. In the case of the Earth, our moon is so big that if the Earth tried to have a ring, the moon's gravity would probably very quickly tear that ring apart. This list of names is the sun in the Brains On Solar System. It's the Brains Honor Roll. 
these incredible listeners are kind enough to share their ideas, questions, drawings, and high fives with us. We think they're out of this world. Simon from Minneapolis, Megan from Churchill, New York, Rose from Maplewood, New Jersey, Dora from Zagreb, Croatia, Liam from Tiffin, Ohio, Finley from Charleston, South Carolina, Nora from Vancouver, Caden from Iowa, Max from Holly Springs, North Carolina, Ravi from Christchurch, New Zealand, William from Miami, Rosemary from Memphis, Ava from Scottsdale, Arizona, Zuma and Jayla from Eureka, California, Alana from London, Avery from Easton, Pennsylvania, Angus from New Brunswick, Canada, Liana and Tony from Dubai, Liam from New York, Victoria from Coldstream, British Columbia, Siaki from San Diego, Laura and Brayden from North Providence, Rhode Island, Ethan from Washington, Camilo from Alameda, California, Shruthi from North Carolina, Adriana and Amelia from Santa Fe, Cody from Long Beach, New York, Michaela from North Tustin, California, Megan and Carly from Arkansas, Benjamin from Pleasant Grove, Utah, Arlo from Pittsburgh, Halifa from Doha, Qatar, Madison from Long Island, New York, Advait from Plymouth, Minnesota, Silas from Malden, Massachusetts, Reese from Minocqua, Wisconsin, Jet from Memphis, Jasper from Portland, Oregon, Teddy from St. Paul, Minnesota, Angus from New York City, Reagan from Jacksonville, Florida, Sophia from Northville, Michigan, Landon, Elijah, and Ella from Vero Beach, Florida, Willa from Hornell, New York, Elise and Sasha from Somerville, Massachusetts, Emmett and Benny from Austin, Texas, Neil from Katona, New York, Kiara from Menlo Park, California, Mercurius from Dumont, New Jersey, Audrey, Annalise, Addie, and Jack Jack from New York City, Oliver and Leon from Stevens, Pennsylvania, Milo from Reading, UK, Madeline from Burlington, Massachusetts, Noah and Adeline from Austin, Texas, Allison from Reading, Pennsylvania, Sam from Tennessee, Jordan from Mandeville, Louisiana, Amelia from Esco, Minnesota, Charlotte from Pittsburgh, Eliza and Theo from Noblesville, Indiana, and Emery from West Des Moines, Iowa. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.